0: Welcome to Let's Talk Memoir, a podcast for memoir lovers, readers, and writers. I'm your host, Ronit Plank. Hi Happy Holidays! As the world slows down at the end of 2022, I wanted to bring this episode in which I interview two sisters about their art and their experience growing up in rural Alaska. A little while back on my other podcast, and then everything changed, I got to interview Kima Waterfield, who wrote the memoir Inside Passage, with her sister, Tekla Waterfield, who is a musician and songwriter. And we got to talk about the writing process for Kima and what their experiences were living in near poverty with one parent as their mom pursued art and what it was like to go to music festivals throughout their childhood all around Alaska and subsist on very little but have this desire to create and express themselves. So in this interview, you will hear a little bit of the introduction from and then everything changed, a little bit of music, and you will also get to hear Kima and Tecla's different perspectives on what growing up was like and what their story means. And I hope you enjoy it. Happy, happy holidays.
1: Abandonment feels like a really intense word, but you know, being abandoned by choice, by half of yourself. I mean, there, it's hard not to have questions about what that reflects back on you. And I sure carried that. I carried that sense of being the reason why people left. And I misinterpreted our first stepdad Tom's leaving as something that was my fault, you know, like a lack on my part. And again, multiple times throughout my childhood, I kind of thought that there must be some inherent flaw in me that made people not want me.
0: Welcome to And Then Everything Changed, a podcast about the pivotal moments in life and decisions that define us. I'm your host, Ronit Plank. Today, my very special guests are sisters. Kima Waterfield, who's the author of Inside Passage, a nomadic childhood memoir set along the wild coast of Southeast Alaska. Other work of Kima's has appeared in the New York Times, Wired, Brevity, Redivider, and others. Her sister, Tekla Waterfield, is a singer-songwriter who incorporates elements of folk, country, roots, rock, and soul, creating a wide-ranging sound unified by dynamic vocals, compelling stage presence, and point-of-view storytelling. Waterfield's music has been heard on radio stations throughout the U.S., on NPR's World Cafe, in the U.K., Scotland, Wales, and Australia, England, and Korea, and has been described as... Poignant and Emotionally Soaring by No Depression magazine. Waterfield's most recent release, New Skies, landed in the NACC Top 30 Folk Album Charts in October of 2021. Welcome, Kima and Tekla. Thank you, Ronit. Hi. Hi. <laughs> so listeners will now know that both of the Waterfield sisters sound very similar, <laughs> and this will become even more apparent when we listen to a cut of their song. I want to thank you so much for being here and to to let everyone know that I'm acquainted with Kima because of our writing. Our memoirs came out around the same time in early summer. And or I guess late spring, and I have read Inside Passage, which is Kima's memoir, and I got to work on it for a piece for The Rumpus, which we'll link to along with her book and the music that we play in the show notes. Kima, meeting you has been a gift of this past year, and I am so happy that Tekla was able to join us today, too, to bring your sister energy and story to the show, so for people who are not familiar with Inside Passage or with your story, can can Kima, can you begin a little bit and tell us a little bit about the background of your family? We grew up with a single mom
1: um, living a fairly nomadic artist's life in Southeast Alaska. We moved a lot. We have a lot of family throughout Southeast Alaska. So we kind of bounced around between towns and even within towns, between homes and spent a lot of our early years um, traveling by ferry and car and camping and performing at folk festivals from a really early age together, Tekla and mom and I. Um, usually when we were little, we were, you know, surprise backup or like surprise guests with mom during her shows. Um, and then it sort of grew from there where Tecla and I, um, did our own sets, and then later traveled on a grant with the Alaska Arts Council on the ferries. Um, as uh, I, were we artists in residence, Tecla, or I? I can't remember. We were <laughs> so yeah, little. It, it was it was so long ago, and we got to you know kind of feel a little like stars because we were, we had our our own performance as part of the. Tour and um, and then for a stretch of time we didn't see each other or perform together for a long 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 piece of time in our lives.
0: Mm-hmm. So am I right in saying that your early childhood was a very nest like womb like experience for the two of you together? Yeah. Like in terms of the closeness and the proximity.
1: Yeah, Tecla and I were so close in age, we're 14 months apart. Um, and we were a small little unit, mom, Tecla and me. Um, Tecla and I, I don't know if you always felt this way, Tecla, or if it was just me because I'm an older sister, but I felt like we were indistinguishable from each other, you know, from a really early age. I thought Tekla was mostly just an extension of myself. <laughs>
0: Uh, I think you write about that too a little bit in Inside Passage, Tekla. What was what's your thought on that? Did you have a, any kind of a similar experience? Well,
2: we we looked and sounded alike, and we were we were close in the same height for quite a while. So yeah, people just were like, "Which one are you?" Like we just look, <laughs> you know, we look like little twins. We were born so close together, and you know, we were just mom would dress us like twins when we were little, and you know, so we we had, you know, we went through all the same things, which is. know we were right around the same age we're just a year a little over a year apart so yeah Mm -hmm. there was there was a lot of that uh, and then as we got older we really kind of during our teenage years we really went different directions um, for a while but yeah that, that we've we've come back together, I think. But the, that's fun. Do you know what I'm saying, Kima? Like we, we used to yeah. fight a lot when we were teenagers. We
1: is, that when,
0: is that when is that when you started to fight? I mean, it's so common among mm-hmm. siblings. I didn't become close again with my sister until college. Mm-hmm. You know, when when I went to college and came back, I was like a little nicer to her. Yeah. But there is definitely <laughs> a stage. So for me, I it's funny because when I was younger... I just, I was bossy, but I thought I was the same person as my sister into my 30s. It wasn't until someone said, you know, you're different, that Uh I really understood that we really were different. Like, I thought because we had the same experience growing up, Mm -hmm. that we actually had the same experience.
1: Right. But it's so
0: different based on birth order and and personality. Totally. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I would say that there's a real distinguishing um, feature here. We did bicker. But we were still really tightly bound. I mean, we fought even as little kids all the time. I mean, we were mortal frenemies. Um, mm. <laughs> but we also didn't have anyone else. And nothing could really ever keep us from each other, you know, so like we'd have a difference of opinion about like what we wanted to do with our time. Um but I think for the most part, we weren't upset about spending time with each other you know Mm -hmm. and even even as our identities really separated into our teen years a lot of that was regional i was back up in alaska and tekla was still in seaside california Um, and we were experiencing you know a different geographical experience during our teen years So, Mm -hmm. you know, identifying who we were in the world was always going to, um, change us. And it just happened to be that our environment had a big hand in keeping, like adding a a gap between Mm -hmm. our understanding Mm -hmm. of each other. Um, but even, even all those years where we were apart and this was before cell phones and (laughs) internet, um, we, I never felt like our our bond was shaken. Our bond never took a hike. You know, it was still mm-hmm. there. When I saw Tekla, it was you know immediately and profoundly true that I was with this other part of myself.
0: Mm-hmm. And I do, you know, I, it's very easy for me to want to ask about the logistics and I do know some of them from the book, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna hold off my need for organization <laughs> and go and we'll get back to that in a second for, so we can have a better understanding of the chronology and the timeline of your childhood. But, you know, music festivals, right? Some people go to them all the time. Some people don't. And when your, your earliest memories of the music festivals that you went to Tecla, what, and you can answer this too, Kima, but what were your earliest sensations and feelings about those music festivals?
2: Um, Well, we just, I remember running around, you know, like there'd be square dancing or whatever sometimes, and we'd be just kind of running around all the adults, you know, with the other kids and laughing and just having a good time. And, you know, when we sang with the adults with our mom and her friends and stuff. I mean, it was just sort of like natural. It just felt like totally, you know, this is what we're doing. You know, this is just what we do in our family. It didn't Mm -hmm. feel like, you know, strange. I mean, I'm sure there were stage fright moments, you know, Mm -hmm. of like, oh my gosh, but I don't know. It just felt natural and it was fun. And it was like, I mean, we were just little festival brats. We were always (laughs) there, you know, we were just, (laughs) And we'd camp out and mom would have us, she made these wreaths um, uh, out of like, or garlands, I don't know, whatever they're called with, with like mossy and moss and like flowers and ribbons. And we would walk around at the fairs like, who wants to buy one? Our mom made these. And, you know, we were just. Just these little kids that just like were a fixture of those kind of kinds of, uh, mm-hmm. of scenes. And it was just, it was fun. And uh, there were times a little bit later towards more like teenage years when I was embarrassed of my mom
3: because <laughs> uh-huh.
2: cause she was so like so unafraid to be you know expressive and to be really expressive (laughs) what like
0: what what is what was what what does that conjure for you
2: well there was this one time when she was singing with a band that she was singing with out in in juno out at sandy or one of the one of the beaches out there and we had some friends there and i remember i was i must have been in like sixth or seventh grade and she would she did this oh baby now kind of thing (laughs) and and like me and my friends were just laughing so hard. And like, <laughs> I still say that now. And I'm like 40. I'm like, Oh, baby. Now like, it just was, I was so embarrassed. Cause my mom was so like, you know, not like other moms and very, you know, out, out there. And Uh like she was
0: just like very unafraid to show her passion and her creativity
2: oh yeah yes yeah
0: Yeah. but it's funny because when you tell okay so obviously we can only offer a little snapshot of your whole whole lives and art on this this interview but when I think about children okay so chemonosis from my book but I was a pretty tightly wound child and very very much always looking for safety you know am I safe is it safe how am I going to be safe and so me knowing what I was like, my first instinct about a musical festival, a music festival is like, I could never be Mm -hmm. that loose. I could never be that untethered. I don't think I could have done it. Right. Did you feel safe in in that environment? And also my secondary, my follow up to that is that you seem creative and expressive and free that way just Mm -hmm. from knowing what you were doing so it's funny to me that you thought your mom was even like was a little embarrassing because to me you're living this this artistic dream
3: yeah well it
2: I think took it takes growing up and getting like getting over trying to be cool and all that I got caught up in that for quite a while like I was like oh you know, I don't want to be unliked. I don't want to be unpopular. I need to go with the flow. I was always like that. Kimo was more like the rebel without a cause, you know, she <laughs> shaved her head and had a very f u attitude for certain years of her young adult. And I was more like, I need to like make everyone like me. And, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know, but once you get over that, or I got over that you know, like I was in choir in high school and our our choir teacher uh, would encourage us to be expressive and to think about what we were singing and to feel it and to show it, to let it be seen and that it was okay. And of course then, like, you know, freshman year, I was like, oh my God, no way. That's so lame. That's like not (laughs) cool. But then by senior year and then, you know, as I got older, I was, I was like, I was feeling it. I was like opening up that because there's this, like, expressive, like, portal that if you're able to just, like, let it be open and flow, mm-hmm. like, and just let it happen. It's just, like, this the most amazing feeling as it goes through your body and it comes out and, like, as mm-hmm. other people feel it. And, you know, and my mom's totally got that. That's where I, I get it from. But, yeah, as a kid, it's, it's a different thing. You don't quite understand all that usually. Most kids don't, you know.
0: Mm. Do you feel that your childhood... With your mom was one that you can look back on with peaceful feelings or are they complicated
2: Uh, i think they're complicated i mean we had a lot of love and a lot of um you know unique experiences and interesting adventures and times when our mom would just be like all right we're going we're getting in the car we're going to drive all night we're going to look for the northern lights or whatever and it was like <laughs> you know it was like cool you know but at times it was hard because we had so much instability we had different father figures different you know there were different boyfriends and i mean it was like you know there were there were times when we just really had barely any food or any clothes that we needed and you know it was hard but like when you're when you're a kid and you experience all that you don't really quite know what you're missing you know Mm -hmm. until like there's times where you know other kids have stuff and you're like well why don't I have any any of that stuff but you know as, as I've gotten older that I've been
0: more like wow you know like that that's crazy some of the stuff that that you know we went through I'd love to know a little bit more about that and Kima you know feel free to add to this as well when you think of the stranger or more complicated stuff that you went through what comes to mind
1: Well, yeah this is um definitely something that i wrote into in the book um yes you know we were raised in artistic poverty um our mom worked really hard she worked incredibly hard and it's worth noting she was barely 20 when Mm -hmm. i was born and my father was 20 years older than her Um, and very quickly he was out of the picture just after tekla was born Um, He was a pot dealer in Anchorage, Alaska in an era where um, it carried consequences. And uh, when mom had said, you know, this isn't gonna work, I'm scared of losing the girls. Uh, I need you to get a real job. And he chose not to. Um, and then after a raid on the trailer that Tecla and I were born in, um, she realized that despite his promises, he had not followed through um, and that it was just too risky. So she took off with us girls um, to Petersburg first where um, she had spent her high school years with her family, grandma and her uncles and her, I mean her brothers and sister. Um, so mom was really young. Um, she was unpartnered. She'd grown up in a family dynamic that was abusive herself and had gone through a tremendous amount of childhood trauma, um, mm-hmm. which in the 80s, you know, wasn't something that was really being addressed. Um, and she was in rural Alaska without, you know, any supports as a single mom or Uh, like mental health uh, supports and um, I think that those challenges you know you I feel in telling my story I've shared a lot of my mom's story and I have done the best that I could to um, tell it with her permission and with her voice Um, but I think that it's important to say that mom was still kind of a kid having kids in Mm -hmm. the 80s in rural Alaska, and um, yeah, she wanted to pursue art and music, and um, she was curious about what kind of beautiful things that she could experience in the world, and Mm -hmm. so she would work multiple part-time jobs so that she didn't have to go sit at a desk and give up the dream of herself, and Mm
3: -hmm.
1: I think that um, writer mothers still kind of do that you know, <laughs> artist mothers still have to do that. Uh, just that the opportunities available to her were smaller. And so we were exposed to, to a lot of beauty and a lot of creativity um and some hardship. You know, she she wasn't <laughs> she she wasn't prepared when she met a pedophile. She didn't know, you know, what to look for in the signs mm-hmm. of an abuser. And so the harms, you know, that we experienced were never, ever um, intentional and they were um, always cared for. We were always held. Um, mm-hmm. Mom made sure that we knew that she was our safe space. You know, she couldn't protect mm-hmm. us from everything, but we she, she would always hold us through it, you know?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I think that the the strength that she gave us was in the knowledge that we were always going to get through this together, you know? Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. Did it, did it take you any time to come to this conclusion for either of you? I mean, I'm curious, having read Kima's memoir, I've sort of had spent some time in her head. Tekla, I know that you had a different experience, you know, because you're a different person, but did you, did you go through various phases of understanding your childhood? Have you always been pretty, consistently viewing it the same or how What what's your thoughts about your childhood well i i
2: i don't know you know Kima was we were talking last night and she's like you're just you're the way that you process things is like you kind of have to sort of go inside and it takes you a long time and i sort of feel the same way still like you know i don't think about it all that much intentionally unless i really you know, something happens. Like we used to say, like we'd watch movies where there'd be a father and a daughter, Kim and I, and we would both just like start crying, just like falling for, for (laughs) a while. Um, I don't really do that as much anymore. Like, I think, I think a big part of that is because I found my life partner personally Mm -hmm. for me, who is filling this void that I always had, you know, in a way with his, you know, his manliness and his you know, who he is and how much he loves me. And, but when, you know, when I was younger, I didn't really process it or think about it or understand like, oh, I don't, I'm a little girl without a dad. And it's just like, you know, it's just Mm -hmm. later when you go about life that you're like, oh, you know, gosh, like maybe I'd be different. Maybe I'd be more secure in myself Mm -hmm. or more, um, confident. I have a lot of confidence issues and insecurity issues and not good enough issues. I mean, everybody does, but, but, but as far as like, uh, you know, our childhood with, um, with mom, I mean, I don't know. I, I guess, I guess it's just like, it's just, it is what it is. That's kind of my attitude, <laughs> right, yeah. Kima?
0: Yeah.
2: Right, mm-hmm. Kima? That's kind of yeah. how I am. I'm like, well, it is what it is, so move on. <laughs> mm.
0: But did you did you ever get to a point where you felt like you had to process it, or do you feel like the music that you write has done that for you? I mean, Kima has, it's also on a side note, I'm, I'm going to like stumble over all my questions because I have so much I want to say to you and ask, but, you know, it's interesting, right, because the artists in you, the artist in you, does have to express this, and it comes out in this way, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how it would process how you would process it if you weren't artistic, if you weren't creative, if you weren't writing and singing. Mm-hmm. but i mean i I wonder when you realized. Tecla that you were, this is for both of you then, for Tecla when you realized, wow, I'm writing songs that are evocative of what I lost or what is on my mind about this, and when Kima knew she was going to write a book about it.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that, I don't think either of us really intentionally set out to, well, I know I didn't set out to be a songwriter per se. I just knew that I had a voice and I I've always had been interested in writing in like, you know, in reading and it just sort of happened. And yes, I think it's, it's absolutely a form of therapy. Um, And also, I don't know if you know this, but I have written a young adult novel that is based on part of our childhood from that time period where we moved from Alaska to California and Um, And I have to say that I do remember when I was writing it that it was feeling like, whoa, you know, I was really sort of confronting all of these feelings Mm -hmm. about everything when I when I was um, working on that. But yeah, every time that you create something, you know, we're telling stories like Kima's telling a story and I'm telling stories with songs. Yeah, you're you can't help but. You know, there's plenty of songs that, that I've written that are about love or about or about like, you know, missing someone or about friendships. But, yeah, there have been songs where I've, you know, ex- explored like, you know, feelings of hurt or abandonment or, you know, sadness over things that happen with with, with parent parentals. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: and, and what about you, Kima, in terms of when you decided to write this book?
1: Yeah, um, I was thinking about, um, I remember uh, when I was first on my own, um, talking to Tecla, and she would say, I don't understand why you're mad. And, um, and we were young, I mean, I was 14, she was 13. And um, I don't understand why you're mad. And I would say, well, I'm not mad at mom, I am mad that I can't be at home. Um, and I'm mad at Brian, um, but, you know, these things happened in our life and, you know, they are hard things. And even then Tecla was still like, well, it happened, you know, <laughs> and I was like, yes, and it happened to us. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I somehow have to, you know, figure out what it means to hold them. Um, and then, you know, it was maybe, oh, a decade, and a half later, when Tecla was like, "You know, these things did happen." Holy <laughs> cram! <laughs> All along, they really had happened. Oh, okay. And um, that was a really, a really amazing conversation when we when we finally did have it. As far as um, writing the book, I didn't actually know I was writing a book when I first when I wrote my first few essays. They were about dude, that um, our father. They were really about, you know, I was trying to get curious about his absence and what it meant when the formative half of yourself chooses not to be with you. And, um, really, I had a lot of questions about whether that meant I was the kid worth staying for or the kid, you know, in mom's case or the kid Mm -hmm. worth leaving in dad's case. And, um, who you can be without that formative influence you know of mm-hmm. like your solid father figure um, because all around me I saw so many kids who even in divorce still had their father in their lives, you know and mm-hmm. um, you know abandonment feels like a really intense word, but you know being abandoned by choice by half of yourself, I mean there it's hard not to have questions about what that reflects back on you. And I sure carried that. I carried that sense of being the reason why people left. And um, I misinterpreted uh, our first stepdad, Tom's leaving as something that was my fault, you know, like a lack on my part. And um, again, you know, multiple times throughout my childhood, I kind of thought that there must be some inherent flaw in me that made people not want me, you know, and Mm -hmm. not want to like carry through on this journey with me. Um, and it, you know, that's a, that's something I struggled with way Mm -hmm. into adulthood, adulthood, deep into adulthood. Um, I don't anymore, but that has mm-hmm. definitely had a, a long-term impact. So, I wrote the very first um, essay that is like at the end of the book um, when I was in undergrad, and it was like the first essay I, I ever wrote. Um, and I wasn't planning on writing a memoir. Uh, and then I I used it to apply to my MFA program, and um, there my thesis advisor kept asking for more, and I kept writing more. And by the time I graduated, I'd had you know I had roughly 100 pages, much of which I used, not all of it. Mm-hmm. And um, she, she said, if you don't write a memoir, you know, what a waste of your story <laughs> and your talent. Um, really, and she actually shook her fist at me, like, I'm expecting <laughs> you to do something about this. Um, otherwise, I, w- I don't know, if <laughs> I don't know if I would have, mm-hmm. I had a different project in mind. So one of the things I struggled with was um, I didn't want to really right into the traumas and hardships because my, you know, the cumulative feeling I have about our childhood and about my mother is, um, really great love. I mean, deep affection, great love, and yes, hardships happened. Um, and then I realized that in order to be true to who I am and the experiences and, um, that that um, occurred and the especially the anxiety which hit me you know pretty young in my te- early in my teen years um, mm-hmm. I couldn't be myself on the page without also acknowledging that I was shaped by these early traumas um, and so i I actually had to you know reach a point where I acknowledged that it needed to be in the story. Despite mm-hmm. the fact that I would have loved to write just a funny, uplifting, you know,
2: mm-hmm.
1: romp through folk festivals and <laughs> along the wet beaches in Alaska and like Tekla and me telling fart jokes until mom pees her pants. Like, I would have, <laughs> that's what I wanted to do. And then it turned out that in order to be true to myself, I couldn't do it without, you know, revealing the hard parts too.
0: I think Hema's familiar with. I, I talk and think a lot about and, and write a lot about you know adverse childhood experiences and abandonment issues and the effect, the legacy of insecure attachments. In And an insecure attachment with your parent is when a, a child doesn't feel secure. And that can be because of a physical distance or a, an emotional distance. A parent can be there and not all the way be there. And that can create this sort of behavior and, and deficiency in a kid. And so I'm really Eager to learn about that. And of course, going back to what Tecla said a while ago, I didn't understand this growing up. You know, I didn't, this is stuff I learned later. It's not stuff I could process at the time because it's not safe when you're going through something like that, at least in my experience, to really understand what's happening because there's nowhere to go. But as I got older, I did understand it. And so I try to use what I know now to try to help the other part of me that didn't know then, sort of. Right. So, do you feel like there's there's, anything a parent can do when when one parent is physically gone, like your father is physically gone and was out of the picture, do you feel like there's anything your mom could have done differently to help fill that part of you? And this is for both of you. Could Do you see any way that that emptiness or insecurity, that sense of abandonment could have been sort of assuaged by something your mom could have done in her life with you
1: that is such an interesting question mm. and um i don't know if i have a ready answer for that tecla do you
2: well i mean i think every mother or every parent in this situation would have a different there would be a different answer you know a different scenario just based on what they were going through and who that person is and um our mom was just she's an artist and she was always sort of, you know, just kind of, We Kim and I were just talking about this when we had a phone call the other night about how she's just kind of like on a different plane sometimes where it's like, you know, you know, there'd be times where I'd be like, what do you think, mom? And she's like, I think you should just do whatever you feel is right. And, and that's it. Like, she's like hands off. And so there were a lot of ways that she was really like, you know, some parents like kind of force feed their kids the answers and they like make them get kind of pin them down, you know, and make them be what they want. And our mom was like, I want you to be what you are and who you are and just do that. Just go do it. Just go, you know? So Mm -hmm. I don't, you know, I don't, it's hard to sort of say what she could have done because she was doing what was natural for her as a mother and as a human being like what when she was telling us how to be and who we were and she was very encouraging and she was always like you know you know she was she didn't make us feel bad for being who we are ever I think there's just this this, this different sort of like set of encouragement and things that you get from a different uh, the other parent that like mm-hmm. it's just a, a different you know like I know I struggled for years with problems with bad relationships and falling for the wrong guys and being like obsessive about guys because I was just needing like a male in my life so bad I mean there were years of just like terrible you know just it took me so long to like be okay with not having that or to like understand what I was doing or to and I just don't I don't know how mom could have
0: you know. Yeah. And, you know, I, I feel, I don't know, Kima, if that was a similar for you at all, but I feel the same way. So, you know, I definitely was looking in the wrong places for that kind of validation. I don't know that my father could have done something for me because I had the opposite parent missing. I don't know, but I do know that I think that a couple of words, maybe things that seemed implicit, like things that seemed obvious to him, if he had been more explicit about it, like maybe your mom didn't go because of you or you must be sad because they're not here. Things like that, right? And yeah. those are just small and elementary things. And there were things that we just, you know, not, no parent can do everything. There's always going to be gaps. And I'm sure I'm going to hear about them for my kids <laughs> as I get older. <laughs> That's just the nature I feel of parenting. Something that I try to do a lot in, in my parenting is to make sure my kids know where they stand with me. And, you know, I don't think that, they could accuse me of a lot of things, but I don't think being you know, kind of phoning it in or not being present for them is one of them. And so that's the kind of thing that I, I I feel like we're trying to heal when, you know, perhaps we're going after the wrong relationships or looking for another person to complete us. But sometimes it takes another person who loves you so much to help you see that you really are okay the way you are.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think I think mom had
1: grown up with a philosophy that um, you had to be partnered or you were maybe some kind of failure as a woman, Mm -hmm. and especially as a mother. And so I think that that pushed her to consider partners that she wouldn't have, you know, um, Mm -hmm. because she was she was really, really wanting someone to raise her kids with and to feel safe Mm -hmm. with and to, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: you know, match her where she was at and
2: um i don't feel that way akima i think she just fell in love i think she just would fall in love and fall out of love over and over Mm -hmm. and her grandma's the same
1: yeah i can see that too yeah and i mean i think that that is an an echo of the same um experience that you're describing because her father was gone she was abandoned Mm -hmm. by her father her adopted dad also when they divorced was very far away. Um, and so, you know, she grew up with that hole in her life um, and I think that might be part of it, you know. I, I mm-hmm. will say, I think it's really hard to guess what mom could have done differently. And yes, I think hearing, you know, dude's not a part of our life because there's anything wrong with you might have might have been very helpful. Um, it wasn't something people were saying Mm -mm. during divorce then or to kids then. Mm -mm. So, um, Mm -mm. I feel like that would have been a huge leap for her to make like a, you know, um, it wouldn't have been intuitive to her because no one, certainly no one was teaching her that language. Um, you know, so she wasn't, um, picking it up anywhere and she was sure, I mean, absolutely sure to always tell us that she loved us unconditionally and that mm-hmm. who we were didn't change her love at all you know um mm-hmm. and you know she always did use the words unconditionally too <laughs> i love you mm-hmm. unconditionally um mm-hmm. and i credit that for um you know what i would say the overwhelming resilience that tecla and i have between the two of us I would say that having that sure knowledge has carried us in ways that um we wouldn't probably have been able to come so far without it um Mm -hmm. but if she had been able to you know make more sacrifices possibly and like you know settle down into like a steady gig and you know keep us in a place for a really long stretch of time and let us like feel you know deeply secure and woven into a place i think that that might have had an impact on on our um sense of sureness in ourselves and i think that it would have been a devastation to her you know
0: hmm. um
1: hmm. i think that that would have broken part of her spirit and mm-hmm. who knows how that would have impact, impacted? right us affected later.
0: Her, her mothering, right? Exactly. I yeah. mean, we just never know because it all yeah. has an effect. What's the relationship with your mother now for the two of you? Oh, super close. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, when you were writing your book and uh, chemo, when you were writing your book and you told your when you told Tekla and you told your mom and stuff, how what was the reaction? Um,
1: Tecla was like, whoa, that's exciting. And um, wow, I can't believe anyone would want to read, read a book about our childhood. Oh, yeah, actually, I can see why. <laughs> and mom's was mom's was pride. I mean, mm-hmm. mom was like, amazing. Of course, you're a writer. I mean, mm-hmm. I should have realized you would write about it all. But I mean, yes, of course, you're a writer. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it hasn't always been easy on her heart because so much of my story is her story, especially due to our our age difference, which is so small. Um, mm-hmm. But it has um, never been without love and support. I mean, she's just always said, I support you, you're an artist, you know? Mm-hmm. And again, it comes back to that unconditional love you know, she's capable of seeing us as who we are and recognizes that we're separate from her and that our story mm-hmm. linked is separate from hers too,
0: you mm-hmm. know. So I was going to ask before we listen to this cut from the Granite Creek Pickers Retreat in Alaska, I was going to ask you about this time in your teenage years you said you were apart that you and maybe it was in your 20s too you said it had been a really long time you were apart for a little while and then it seems like it was a while b- before you sang again so can you i don't know this part of your story at all i mean i know part of the living separately but not about the time that went uh, between singing and performing together
1: yeah um so i do write about this in the book um there is a period of of uh, deep mental hardship for our mom, um, that happened to coincide with my freshman year in high school. And she had a a new partner in her life, Brian, who, um, really didn't like us kids very much. And, um, I, he had her convinced that, you know, that she needed to just sort of take a break from the world for a while and kind of you know kept her in her room um but also her
2: father had died remember right at that time yep
1: there was grief and then there was her childhood traumas bubbling up to the surface and then there was brian for whom it was um a wonderful thing to have her a little bit helpless and captive and he um One of the things he did was convinced her that I was a danger to her because I was angry about, um, you know, yet another move, yet another move. This new guy, I was starting high school in California when I'd been raised in rural Alaska. I was very confused and lonely um, and scared and didn't didn't know what I was going to do. And I couldn't talk to mom because she was very, very deep in her grief at the time. And so Brian convinced her that I was not safe to her and um, got her to kick me out. And so um, uh, a lot of conversations about what that would look like happened. I wound up going up to Anchorage um, to live with my, our older half-brother, who I didn't really know at all um he was a stranger to me in his late 20s and um we had an apartment together which we shared <laughs> we shared a single bed but he worked nights and um i was at school and i worked in the evenings so we didn't really see each other i just like paid my rent and you know sometimes he was home on the weekend watching football and <laughs> um or his buddies would come over and get really drunk or go on a Coke binge and try to break down the bedroom door, which was occasionally strange. But, um, (laughs) uh, I was on my own for a good stretch of time then for maybe about a a year and a half. And in, um, that time I went and lived with my friend's family, um, Mm -hmm. who are still family to me now. I'm super close with them. And, um, then I reconnected with mom briefly, um, for about six months and then by the time uh, I was halfway done with my junior year in high school I was I was completely on my own forever after and we pretty much didn't live in the have never lived in the same town again um as each other so Mm -hmm. we again this was you know cell phones no internet you know we we you know, could have occasionally afford a long distance phone call, but she lived states away. Sometimes I wouldn't hear from her for an entire year and not with not, you know, by any lack of love, just we couldn't afford a long distance phone call. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I couldn't just like book a ticket and go visit whenever I wanted to. I was, you know, working, you know, four part time jobs myself trying to mm-hmm. um, pay my way through college. So uh, there was just a really long gap before we reached a point for either one of us where we had enough stability that we could like make visits happen more Mm -hmm. regularly. And, um, it was
0: a long, And that means you and Tecla too, you and Tecla were separate too. Right. Yep. Tecla, Tecla was
1: with mom. Um, and so I didn't really see as much of Tecla either. It would, it would be sometimes two years, maybe three years before I, between visits with each other. So, um, yeah the music when we came back together was uh, actually I think it was inspired by our brother um, settling down and having a baby and we all came together for the birth of my niece and uh, we found out about a festival just like the way mom used to do when we were little she'd be like holy Mm -hmm. cow I found out about a festival let's go and we would just (laughs) go and there we were for the first time and I think it was you know 15 years um at a festival all of a sudden together again you know with like very little practice (laughs) a long time between Mm -hmm. and how was it amazing it was it was amazing it was like coming home
3: On a long a summer day.
1: Think that it's interesting the way that um, art took us in different directions, and it mm-hmm. was a kind of art that we both, you know, were really deeply involved in in childhood, but we both like settled on different parts of it as specialties.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so I'm curious about that. Does your mom still make art? Mm-hmm. Yeah, she actually has her first show in a long time
1: um, coming up in, uh, in Juneau in December. Mm-hmm. So, just a couple of weeks she's got a new art show opening up. It's photographic collage works and one of which, one of those types of pieces is the cover for my
0: book. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm super excited for her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And music, she still plays music. So then for for you two sisters, I know COVID has taken a real toll on on so much, but what are your plans for seeing each other? soon or performing together again I just need my toddler to get vaccinated that's mm-hmm. all we're waiting for Hmm. yeah well I think that your music is so beautiful your writing is so beautiful like I just I'm amazed by you too <laughs>
1: thank you thank you
0: where can people let's start with Tecla Tecla where can people find your music and more out about you
2: um, on, uh, lots of interweb sites like my website, which is really easy because it's my name, teclawaterfield.com. I put up shows and music videos and the albums I've made
0: and yeah, links to mm-hmm. all kinds of things on there. So that's a good place mm-hmm. to start. Okay. And you're also on some social, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Like Instagram. some Instagram too. Mm-hmm. 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 Yep. Okay. And what about you, Kima? Where can people find your book and learn more about your writing? Um, I also
1: have a website that is my name, Uh, Mm kemawaterfield.com. I don't do very much with it. It's sort of just a little fancy placeholder. I am much more active on Instagram (laughs) (laughs) uh, because I really enjoy the format of those mini essays and, you know, being able to like put a face to the world and meet other authors so i'm at chemosaurus rex on instagram um very (laughs) rarely on twitter
0: (laughs) yeah okay so in the show notes we're going to have all those links we're going to have the ways in which people can find both of you and i want to thank you for making the time you're both so busy and I know you have little kids at home Kima and we have a time difference and I just want to thank you for both being here with me and for sharing your story thank you so much it's our pleasure thank you you for tuning in to Let's Talk Memoir for more about this episode and my guest please visit the link in the show notes or on Instagram at Ronit Plank that's R-O-N-I-T p-l-a-n-k. You can also follow me on Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok. If you liked this episode of Let's Talk Memoir, please go ahead and share it with your friends and subscribe. And if you have two more seconds, you can rate and review it on Apple Podcasts, which really does help other people find the show. Thank you so much for being here.